This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, September 4th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. When the president issues an order via Twitter to American companies to begin looking into doing business in countries other than China, it's easy to laugh. Unfortunately, after decades of congressional delegation to White Houses past and present, Donald Trump's claims of authority to issue these kinds of demands is on stronger footing than you might prefer to believe. Cato's Gene Healy comments. When President Trump tweeted out that America's great companies were hereby ordered to begin considering uh, other opportunities for um, uh, trade than with China, I thought, well, this is you know, overwrought, it's overstated. And then when he was asked to follow up on it, he pointed to uh, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act of 1977. He claimed, I have the absolute authority here. Um, and then I thought, well, maybe he may well be correct because there have been these broad delegations of uh, that Congress has made over uh, many decades to the uh, to the executive branch for uh, regulating trade. Uh, what is the IEEPA? Uh, it's tough to pronounce, is what it is. Uh, it's uh, uh, so yeah. Trump, uh, President Trump, does have this pattern of tweeting out. So what sound like crackpot theories of executive power, you know, he can pardon himself or shut down the border or, or uh, things of that nature. Um, and uh, but sometimes, uh, you know, disturbingly enough, he's not that far off about the powers we've ceded to the executive branch. And in this case, uh, he, he tweeted out case closed because of this 1977 statute. Maybe not quite case closed, but his... A claim is uh, on stronger ground than it might seem at first blush. So the IEEPA uh, of, of 1977, the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, was part uh, was actually part of a reform effort to try to tighten up the president's emergency powers uh, to some extent. Um, it, it came in the year after the National Emergencies Act of 1976. That was also part of that effort. And the the IEEPA, uh, though it does actually uh, cede a staggering amount of power to the president. Uh, he has broad authority to regulate or block, or block transactions with foreign governments and foreign nationals. If he declares a national emergency based on, quote, any unusual and extraordinary threat which has its source in whole or substantial part outside the United States. And this is actually the, the second time he's made a threat uh, using that 77 Act. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people have forgotten this because we moved on to pretty quickly to other crises. But uh, back at the end of May, beginning of June, he threatened to use the IEEPA uh, to uh, hammer Mexico with uh, tariffs, across the board tariffs going up to uh, 25% if Mexico didn't cooperate and do what he wanted uh, in terms of cracking down on cross-border migration. Uh, a couple days before he was supposed to trigger these tariffs, he, he uh, decided not to, saying he made a deal with Mexico, but said he could always go back to, to using that act if he wanted to. Um, and what what the IEEPA has been uh, in its uh, history since 1977 is sort of this 
all-purpose uh, statutory tool for economic sanctions. It's usually used against uh, rogue states. Uh, increasingly in later years, it's used against uh, uh, individuals, various uh, international malefactors like uh, cyber hackers or people engaged in the illegal diamond trade, things of that nature. One thing it's never been used before, though, uh, is it's never been used against a, a major uh, U.S. trading partner that like China or Mexico. Uh, so this is this threat, at least, is something new. So what else might a president do with that authority? Well, you know, he he said case closed. He could hereby order uh, U.S. companies to pack up and leave China if he wanted. Um, that's not quite clear, but he could definitely, at the extreme, make it uh, very difficult to do business in China. He could decide to treat uh, China like Iran or North Korea under the IEPA, um, which would make it virtually impossible for Americans to do business there. Uh, it's probably pretty hard to run a factory in China without dealing with Chinese foreign nationals. Um, and the courts are unlikely to stop him in the short term if, if he were to decide to do that. Uh, they're very unlikely to, to second guess him on whether this is in fact an unusual and extraordinary threat. He actually said at the G7 meeting that one of the reasons this is an emergency is, is that it's been going on for years. Uh, so it's not what you'd find in the dictionary for a dictionary definition of emergency, but the courts have proved extremely reluctant, particularly if there's a national security claim involved to second guess the, guess the president on the nature and extent of an alleged foreign threat. Um, it's really something that uh, Congress would have to try to stop him. And uh, the way the law works now, uh, Congress would have to assemble a veto-proof majority, supermajority, in order to rescind a president's uh, declaration of a national emergency. I know that you're a student of galling seizure of executive authority and uh, it, what I, what you have, have noted that you find surprising is that of, of a lot of these delegations, and you can detail some of them, most of them have not been used. Yeah, it's not that often that I find myself saying, uh, wow, thank God our presidents have been so restrained. Uh, but you can make a case here because uh, the, uh, the, the there's a report uh, end of last year, uh, very well timed from the Brennan Center about presidential emergency powers, and they identified uh, over 120 statutory provisions scattered throughout the U.S. code that the president can uh, basically invoke in a, uh, and get new powers in a self-declared national emergency. Uh, and they're scattered throughout the U.S. code, but it kind of adds up to a giant enabling act. Uh, you know, some of these provisions including the provisions of the International Emergency Economic Powers Act really give the president vast, vast powers. Um, but uh, the Brennan Center noted that 70% of these have never been used. Uh, they've sort of just been lying in wait for an enterprising president to figure out that they're out there. And although President Trump really hasn't broken new ground in most areas of executive power, most of the um, most of what he's done in the war on terror, 
and in other uh, in immigration or just aggressive uses of powers that Congress has already delegated and or presidents have already seized. But one area where he really has been an innovator is in uh, the area of presidential emergency powers. He's uh, with the uh, border wall declaration of national emergency uh, back in February. Uh, the provision that he cited uh, had only been used twice before, uh, this provision that allows you to shift military construction funds around. Uh, and the two times it had been used before were uh, in the Gulf War and uh, after September 11th, sort of the, you know, pretty plainly the purpose that Congress was going for in this delegation of power. Trump's the first president who, you know, seemed to think, well, you know, if Congress doesn't give me what I want, uh, you know, in a in a budget battle, I can just use one of these emergency powers, declare a national emergency, and get the money I want for my pet project. That's something that uh, nobody had ever really figured out before or hadn't gone that far before. Uh, so I don't think that we can depend on presidential restraint going forward. Uh, Trump has really opened up a new path and a lot of uh, people on the left, including uh, some prominent uh, political figures, are kind of curious about this. Uh, they've uh, he sort of piqued their interest in what what could a Democratic president do uh, without Congress simply by invoking some of these emergency powers. To the extent that uh, the president has first engaged in some sort of uh, back and forth with Congress with respect to appropriating funds, let's say for a wall or something like that, and then uh, that doesn't go his way, does that does the fact that he then says, "Well, I'm just going to invoke this this emergency power," does the analysis for courts change because there was a, an a, an attempt, whether or not it was in good faith or not? to go through the typical, normal political machinations? Um, well, presumably it should, uh, and, and that uh, may be an issue in some of the litigation over the border wall emergency. But, uh, you know, the wheels of justice grind pretty slowly. And as I said, the courts are really reluctant to second guess. Uh, they don't want to get into a factual determination of what is an emergency uh, because most of these grants of power seem to leave that question up almost entirely uh, to the president. Um, but, and, you know, as I said, this, this is, uh, you know, we talk a lot about Trump's norm busting uh, and this is an er area where he's overridden norms that had kept this emergency powers regime from uh, being tapped to its full potential. But after the border wall emergency declaration, uh, you know, you, Congress, Congresswoman uh, Omar from Minnesota uh, tweeted out that our, our next president should declare a national emergency on day one to address the existential threat to all life on the planet caused, uh, po po uh, sorry, uh, posed by climate change. Uh, Elizabeth Warren said, uh, you know, and, and Bernie Sanders both said, uh, this isn't, the border isn't a national emergency, but climate change is. And uh, there are other people who are looking at, well, do any of these 120 some 
statutory provisions, would they would they give a Democratic president the ability in a declared national emergency to enact elements of, say, the Green New Deal? And there's a good case that the, that they do. Uh, there's a law professor at at Berkeley, Daniel Farber, who who looked through the Brennan Center's list of uh, emergency powers and. He came up with a bunch of possibilities. Mother Jones Magazine wrote it up. Uh, you could shift billions of dollars in Pentagon funds to subsidize renewable energy, solar panels, uh, and presumably uh, or possibly impose new restrictions on automobile use, and maybe use the IEEPA against companies that deal in fossil fuels. So uh, this is a, a live possibility that he's really opened a Pandora's box uh, and woke people, he, he's uh, awakened people to uh, the potential of uh, of emergency powers. You know, he's given a bunch of good ideas to Berkeley law professors and Mother Jones Magazine and uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. So, you know, thanks, Donald. <laughs> so uh, with respect to uh, the role that Congress has played here, obviously they've done plenty to to make things worse with respect to uh, executive power. But is there is there any hope or appetite for, uh, you know, uh, repealing some of these powers? Yeah, well, the the silver lining is that in the in the same way that Trump has has clued people into the potential for a. a source of authority in all of these uh, emergency powers provisions he's also uh you know raised some attention to the issue in congress and uh there's a there's an act, actually a, a decent reform effort underway uh at the end of july uh, the senate committee of homeland security and governmental affairs uh moved a a bill that would reform some of this uh as a bipartisan 11 to 2 vote on this bill, it's a Mike Lee's Article One Act, and that would amend the National Emergencies Act to put tighter limits on emergency declarations. What it does is it makes uh, new emergency declarations expire after 30 days without an affir affirmative approval by Congress. So, Congress, unlike the current regime, if the Article One Act was passed, Congress wouldn't have to do anything to overturn a president's emergency declaration. It could just do nothing. And uh, it after 30 days, it's void without approval. Um, and the same act, the Article One Act, uh, starts to address the uh, International Emergency Economic Powers Act. It says that you can't use this sanctions tool uh, for as an ordinary weapon of trade policy. You can't impose tariffs with it. Uh, one problem, though, is there's uh, it, it has a carve out for otherwise for the IEEPA, um, you know, where everything else is limited, uh, you know, everything else has to get approval after 30 days or it goes or it expires. Uh, the uh, 77 Act, the IEEPA is exempt from those requirements. And, you know, one of the reasons it's exempt, you, you sort of see the logic uh, that Congress would have to take a lot of votes if uh, if the uh, IEEPA was under these 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 limits uh, in Mike Lee's bill. Uh, most of the there's thirty some ongoing declarations of national emergency. 
Most of them are under the IWEPA. And, uh, you know, it, most of them happen to be pretty uncontroversial because they're not real emergencies. They're things like uh, blocking the property of certain pro persons who contributing to the situation in Burundi. And the idea is we don't want to take a lot of votes about stuff like that. We don't even know what the situation in Burundi is, so why bother? Um, and that's why they, they put in this carve out. And that argument uh, that you could, you could stomach this uh, exception, uh, this big loophole, uh, was a lot more compelling, I think, before President Trump started threaten, threatening to weaponize the, this sanctions tool against major trading partners and the American consumer. Um, so I, I think it's a mistake to, to leave the old system in place where if President Trump decides uh, to try to start forcing companies not to do business in China, that you have to muster a two-thirds majority of Congress to, to overturn that act. It would be, be better if that act would just, or that declaration would just expire uh, under the new rules that Mike Lee proposes. Uh, but the bill in general, is a, it's an important first step and it's the right framework for thinking about this. You change the default rule. So instead of the president getting to do what he wants for as long as he wants, unless Congress can get a supermajority to stop him, uh, you, uh, you change the default setting so that his powers expire very quickly and unless Congress ratifies them. Uh, and I think uh, that's the sort of thing that needs to be considered uh, given how much Trump has shown the potential for abuse that, that lies in all these emergency power statutes. Gene Healy is a vice president at the Cato Institute and author of The Cult of the Presidency. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us and suggest show topics on Twitter at Cato Podcast.